when we think of giants in Welsh folklore, one of the earliest sources we have is a manuscript that was written around the turn of the 1600s by a Welsh grammarian by the name of Sean David Rhys. And Sean David Rhys, we're not quite sure when he was born, but he was active between 1592 and he dies in 1617. And sometime during his later years, he puts this manuscript together that we know of as Penyarth 118. And it was translated uh, and edited by Hirwen and published back in 1917. So it's quite a well-known text uh, in Welsh folklore circles when we're talking about giants. But one of the really interesting things that uh, Sean David Rhys does in Penyarth 118 is that he lists all of the giants that he knows about that are part of Welsh folklore. And there's an estimated 60 giants named in this manuscript, as well as their respective locations. And many of these giants are associated with Iron Age hill forts and other Neolithic monuments scattered across the Welsh landscape. And this connection between giants and Neolithic culture, or giants and Iron Age culture, is really apparent when we look at Welsh folklore. I'm going to just run through some of the more interesting giants that we find in this manuscript. I'll probably do a bit more next week as well. Uh, but we're going to start with one giant story in particular. And that is the story of these three giants who had three special wives, let's say. And in the land of Abertavi which is in West Wales, and in the parish of Llanfair, or Llwyn, was a giant called Llafangawr, and the place he lived in is still called Castellllafangawr. Now, we could spend hours trying to guess at where these different locations are. Some of them are really obvious, but some of them are quite obscure, and we'd have to spend a fair bit of time teasing out where these actual locations are and poring over maps for hours on end, which is something I do love to do every now and again, but I think you guys might find it boring. And in the land of Abertavi, and in the parish of Bangor, lived Gaur, And the place he dwelt in is still called Gaur. Three witches were the wives of the last three giants, namely Tahoel Gaur and Llafan Gaur and Pascog Gaur. So these three giants appear to be grouped together, and their wives are witches, but they're also giantesses. And those three giantesses were killed, they say, by Gwalchmai, the nephew of Arthur, by trickery, because they could not be destroyed except by cunning on account of their strength and power. And three sisters were these three witches, and within the three castles they were killed, namely Castellhowell, Castellllafan, and Castellpuscock, according to what is related of them. This has some bearing on what we were discussing in the last session. If you can remember the description of the witch of Korsvachna, she was uh, described as uh, a hideous giantess in many ways. So this notion of witches also sometimes being giantesses is something that uh, lasts through into uh, the culture of 20th century Wales. And it's interesting that we find it here. 
This isn't the only place where we find three witches grouped together, nor the Arthurian stories uh, being associated with witches. We find in many of the Welsh stories and many of the Arthurian Welsh texts a notion of witches. They're always the enemy, they're always the baddies, they're always getting duffed up and killed and their heads chopped off and their blood poured into containers to make sure that it's kept warm so that the blood can be used to comb out the knots in giants' beards. But fundamentally, there is a very close relationship, not just between witches and giants, but also between witches and giants and Arthur, King Arthur the Arthur of Welsh folklore. Gwalchmai, of course, in the, f- the first half of that second paragraph, Gwalchmai is mentioned as a nephew of Arthur here, but Gwalchmai is one of the characters in the three romances, in the tale of Peretir, and Gwalchmai, of course, helps Peretir at the end of the story to kill the witches of Caerloyu. So this folklore appears to be very much a part of the Arthurian tradition in Wales. But this isn't just the only knight of Arthur's court who's been killing witches. We can also think of Kai in the poem Pa'urir Parthar, which is a 13th century poem from the Black Book of Carmarthen. We find Kai a very famous member of Arthur's court, one of Arthur's great knights in the three romances, of course. Kai is mentioned as being someone who killed a witch, a neyad awrnach, an ymladeva grach. In awrnach's hall, he, Kai, fought with a hag. Awrnach is almost certainly Ornach, who is killed by Kai in the earliest of the Arthurian stories, Cilloch and Dolwen. So here we have another one of Arthur's men, who is also known as a witch killer, also killing a giant in Cilloch and Dolwen. So it appears as if the killing of giants and the killing of witches is something that Arthur's men are fond of doing. It's interesting here that Ornach is associated with a witch as well, as if we would expect witches to be with giants. Now, of course, we can take this a step further, again, because in Cilloch and Alwen, we have another mention of three witches. This is taken from the long list of Arthur's men that Cilloch declaims in front of Arthur's court when he is requesting a boon, a favour of his uncle, Arthur. For those of you not familiar with Cilloch and Olwen, the basic premise is that Cilloch is a young man and he's been cursed that he shall only love the beautiful Olwen, but Olwen is the daughter of the great big hideous giant, Aspadaten. So he goes to his uncle's court, his uncle being the great King Arthur, and asks Arthur to help him win Olwen's hand in marriage. But just as Kiluch is cursed to only love Olwen, Aspadaden is cursed to die should Olwen ever marry anyone. So the thing that Kiluch wants is the thing that will kill uh, Aspadaden the giant. To delay the wedding, Aspadaden sets a series of impossible tasks 
impossible feats that Kiluch must accomplish, and Arthur's men help Kiluch accomplish those amazing feats. One of these feats we'll come to talk about in a moment, but it's important to note that as Kiluch is reciting the names of all the heroes of Arthur's court, he mentions these three heroes in particular, Bulch and Kavulch and Savulch. Many scholars assume that this section of uh, Kiluch and Dalwen was actually written by a poet, or the author had skill in Welsh poetry because there are many of these poetic effects, these sound effects in, in the poetry. Bulch and Kavulch and Savulch, sons of Kilid, Kavulch, grandsons of Klediv, Divulch, you can hear all of the rhymes there. Three gleaming glitterers, their three shields, three stabbing strokes, their three spears, three keen carvers, their three swords, glass, glessig, glaciaid, the, their three hounds. Call, Ciall, Cavall, their three steeds. Hwyr ddug and drug ddug and llwyr ddug, their three wives. Och and Garim and Diaspad, their three witches. So the three witches there are Moan, Cry and Shriek, great names for witches. So back in the 12th century, we already have the three stereotypical witches that Shakespeare takes up, of course, in his great play Macbeth. So these are obviously very traditional characters, not just in Wales, but they're tr probably traditional across much of Britain. The witch character not only is a stereotype, but the three witches, the three awful monstrous hags. It's interesting here that the three witches are in service of the three great heroes, and that they are somehow closely associated with the three wives of these three great heroes of Arthur's court. And just as in the tale of Peretir, we find that the witches train Peretir in martial skills and the skill of horse riding, essentially to improve his martial prowess. So there is an ambiguous relationship between some of Arthur's men and these witches. Of course, Peredir goes on to kill the witches that trained him in these martial skills. But there is this strange or strained relationship where sometimes the heroes rely on the witches and sometimes they are their enemies. So the, the witches have a very ambiguous moral character. Sometimes they're the baddies, sometimes they're literally the teachers of the heroes, improving that very quality that makes them heroes in, their, in the first place, their martial skill. There's this interesting dynamic going on. And of course, we find that uh, all the way back in the Irish tradition as well with Cahullan uh, and his sorceress teacher, uh, Scathach, and all of that. There's, there's a, another body of law that we can look at in in terms of heroes being trained by witches. So we have Gwalchmai killing three witches. We have Kai killing a witch. All of these witches are related to giants. We also have three witches in service of some of Arthur's men, not enemies in this sense. But of course, the giants themselves also have a peculiar relationship with Arthur's men. They are almost always enemies, 
They are almost always set against Arthur's men, but the relationship isn't one of immediate animosity. There is always some sense of wordplay that comes into the relationship between Arthur's men and the giants, which is interesting. Yeah, This notion of understanding coded language is often a part of, of the relationship of this dynamic. Sometimes, of course, the giants are just outright trying to cheat Arthur's men, as we find in the story of Kiluch and Dalwen. Now, if you remember, apologies for those of you who are not familiar with the story of Kiluch and Dalwen. It's well worth a read or a listen if you can go and find yourselves a copy. But fundamentally, the baddie in the story is Aspadaden, the great giant, who is Olwen's father, who will die should Olwen marry. And one of the impossible tasks that Aspadaden sets Arthur's men and Kiluch is this. Aspadaden, who is the chief of giants, he's the most important giant, says this. There is no comb and shears in the world which can dress my beard because of its stiffness, except the comb and shears that lie between the ears of Turch Truith, son of Tarad Letig. He will not give them willingly, nor can you force him. Now the Turch Truith there, of course, is the great giant boar. And the Turch Truith, in many ways, is the most important symbolic character in the story of Kiluch and Dolwen. Very potent symbol in the mythology that we find in Kiluch and Dolwen. And clearly a very important uh, mythological figure in the Welsh cycle of Arthurian stories. But we can see how Arthur, in many ways, is pitted against this great beast, the Turch Truith. And the Turch is an embodiment of wild violence, is an embodiment of the need for Arthur's men to continually prove themselves, to really give themselves body and soul to this manly, heroic pursuit of hunting down this great boar, who is actually the incarnated soul of a nobleman the son of Tared Letig, Tared the Emperor. So a very important nobleman transformed into the form of a great boar. And the Turch Truth is often described as the chief of all boars. So the chief of all giants requires Arthur's men to retrieve the comb and shears that are between the ears of the chief of all boars so as to dress and to to trim his beard before the wedding of his daughter. And of course, this is an, an impossible task in many ways. But funnily enough, it's Gwynapnid in the story of Kiluch and Dolwen that helps Arthur's men to retrieve the comb and shears. But that's another story. We'll leave that door open. Apologies, it's going to get a bit drafty here with all these open doors, but you're just going to have to bear with me. So there we have Aspadaden, Essentially saying to Arthur and Arthur's men, I need this special comb and shears for you to comb my beard. Now this brings us back to that manuscript from 1600, written by Sean David Fries, because we find this story has evolved through Welsh folklore into a story about a giant called Cripur. And this is what Sean David Rhys has to say about Cribur. In the country of Morganog was Cribur Gaur, Cribur the giant. Now, Crib in Welsh means comb. 
Yeah, Kripur, the one of the comb, is what this giant's name literally means. In the country of Morganog was Kripur Gaur, in Castell Kevin Kripur by Llangewydd. Arthur killed three sisters of Kripur by treachery. Now, Sean David Fries doesn't say that these sisters are necessarily giantesses, but we can guess that they probably were, yeah? It goes with the territory by now. Arthur killed three sisters of Kripur by treachery. So we can imagine that the the folktale would go, and Arthur crept up to the cave, and in the cave was sat one of these great hideous monstrous witches, and she spied the mortal king approaching her, and she said, Who's there? And Arthur said, Only me, only hot pottage, to the first sister. And then the second sister spies him and says, Who's there? And Arthur says, It's only me, warm porridge. And then a morsel of bread is, is what he calls himself to the third sister. Arthur, after naming himself in this way, then attacks the three sisters. And when the first sister called for help against Hot Pottage, she says, help, Kribor, my brother, the great giant. Hot Pottage is, is killing me. Kribor, the giant, answered, wench, let him cool, because obviously he can't see what's going on. And in the same manner, he answered the second time. When the second sister sought assistance against warm porridge. So, of course, the second sister says, Ah, warm porridge is killing me. And Kribur says, Well, oh, well, you know, let it cool down. Don't worry about it. And then the third sister called out that the morsel of bread was choking her. Ah, morsel of bread is choking me. And to this, Kribur the giant answered, Wench, take a smaller piece. And when Kribor reproached Arthur for killing his sisters, Arthur replied with an Englin Milor, which is a particular type of stanza in this manner. It's not technically an Englin Milor, but we'll, we'll allow, allow it to be for now. Kribor, take thy combs and cease with currish anger. If I get a real chance, surely what they have had, thou shalt have too. So here we have a giant associated with combs again, just as a spadaden is associated with the comb and shears in Kiloch and Dalwen, also associated with Arthur. The story has obviously evolved into this bit of entertaining folklore, I'd say, from the early modern period. And just to finish off here, no one could kill the three sisters together, so great was their strength, but singly by stealth Arthur killed them. So this notion that strength alone is not enough to beat the giants or the witches, but we need uh, cunning uh, as well as strength of arms. I think what we see there in many ways is how the tradition regarding giants and witches evolves from the medieval period in stories such as Kiluch and Dalwen and Peretir, how it evolves through the early modern period in stories such as we find in Sean David Fries' manuscript, and then how it evolves again into the stories that we looked at uh, last week and the week before with these very stereotypical types of witches. Of course, by the early modern era and by the Industrial Revolution, Witches are old women. They're no longer these giantesses. They're no longer these otherworldly characters. They are mortal women 
who are from a particular demographic, let's say a particular social class in Wales. And we can guess, but we can't prove, but we can guess that what we have in the mythological figure of giants and witches are personifications of these different class types in earlier Celtic culture. I would say that the giants, if we are going to look at these stories in a sociological sense now, these giants are really the evolution of a particular role in Celtic society, probably associated with powerful noblemen who also had some spiritual potency, who were also wizards or uh, druids, perhaps. That these giants are aristocratic, but they are the old guard aristocracy. They are the leaders, they are chief giants, they are important, they live in these old Iron Age fortresses. They are the old power, which is replaced by the new power, which is not fully Christian, but is on the cusp of becoming the new Christian aristocracy of sub-Roman Britain. And I think that's where Arthur fits into this story here where we have Arthur really bridging many of the earlier pagan traditions with the new uh, Christian traditions that uh, have arrived in Britain uh, with the Romans. The witches, of course, share a similar fate in that they are frowned upon by later Christian culture. But whereas the giants totally die off, the witches, of course, survive as an actual role in the communities of rural Wales. The witches that we find in the stories of Peretir, uh, suggested in some parts of Cilwch and Dalwyn as well. These witches are witches who possess a martial skill. They're women warriors in many ways. That aspect of witch culture doesn't survive into rural Wales, as far as we can tell. Although the witches of the Industrial Revolution in Wales are aggressive, they are figures of death as well sometimes, which is, we should also bear in mind. 